that God, with the Bible that we have today. So, so the things that we are saying are true, the Bible that we're saying is true, we found texts that date back and confirm that what you're reading today is the same thing Moses was writing. It's the same thing the Jews believe. It's the same thing that those were, that were excited and waiting to get to know Jesus. It was what they staked their life on. And so just as with anything else, oftentimes, you know, like you, you can have an opinion. You can like the taste of this cheesecake or you may not. But it's a fact as to whether we were here or not. And today, the Bible has facts that have been validated throughout history. Dare I say there are more people that want to prove the Bible wrong, (laughs) but yet still the Bible holds up to a, a historical account that confirms that it's true. Now, do facts and dates about a place alone confirm spiritual matters? They don't. But I'm just trying to build a case. I'm starting a case. Put this in your, in, in your arsenal. Store this up. Okay, point number one, history. The Bible is true in, in, in what it says from a historical standpoint. But it's also true in, in, in how it describes men. Let me ask you a question. What would you be willing to die for? What would you be willing to die for? Hmm. Your, your girlfriend? Pretty deep. How long you guys been together? Okay, about to propose. Okay, I see you, boy. That's cool. The, the, when you look at the account of the men who wrote the Bible, you look at the account of individuals in the Bible, there's an experience that those individuals had Prior to Jesus, they walk with Jesus, they get to experience Jesus. And when Jesus dies, they are distraught. They are broken. The king, the Messiah, the one who was supposed to reign has just left them and they watched him die. And so you have historians record that this little church, these people who are an annoyance to society, who want to live a different way, now look at them. Their king just died. And something radical happens. These individuals who were distraught shift. They become bold. They become courageous. And they begin to live a life where they're willing to die for what they believe in Jesus. What happened? What, what changed? The Bible says they experienced Christ. They saw him in a resurrected manner. They saw him living and breathing after they saw him die. And they said, that's worth putting my whole life on. That's worth living for. That's worth dying for. And we see a transformation of a church no longer distraught. Now on fire, now growing boldly and passionately, proclaiming the truths of the Lord. These men's lives 
they were willing to lose for the sake of advancing who Jesus was. Now, I know I'm talking to you about the Bible, man, and I'm getting into some Jesus stuff. And I, I just got to say, like, I don't know where you stand with spirituality, but, but the church uh, does not have a squeaky clean record. As I, as, I, as I talk to you about the Bible, man, and why I think it's authoritative, I think it has spiritual implications. I think that it is a, a plan for how we are to, to live out life. The church doesn't have a squeaky clean history. But even as I share that with you, I want you to understand that, that, that what God desires and what man does sometimes don't align. Just, just as if, you had, if your doctor gave you a prescription, you, you had a certain illness, and your doctor said, hey, I want you to do these three things, and here's a prescription. Your doctor can, can no more ensure that you'll get healthy because they don't know if you'll take the medication. They don't know if you will follow the plan. See, God's word is pure. He has laid out the way in which man ought to live. But man, we, we get great freedom in that. We get, we get freedom in, as to whether we shall worship him and serve him or reject him and ignore him. And the basis, the basis for that understanding that we feel, and I feel like as a believer, man, is found right here in these words. And so the church, the, uh, another view of the church, another evidence of it continuing to, 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 to be, excuse me, another evidence of the Bible, like being authoritative and being the word of God, it continues to exist. It's here today. And you have had authoritative figure, dictator, societies, regime after regime come to try to kill the message of the Bible. You've had people being killed and persecuted for being associated with the Bible. And yet it still continues to, 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 to grow and expand Irregardless of the persecution that, that, that people experience and the desire to burn every letter that's present in this book. I, you might say it's a coincidence. I think not. I think it's God's divine plan preserving the beauty of Scripture so that all men might have a chance to experience and know Him. I hear how you can say that, that you think it's just a bunch of stories thrown together, right? At random, some people got together, they kicked it, had a couple of brews, and just said, hey, let's randomly pick 66 books and throw them in a leather binder and sell it. <laughs> but man, that's, that is so different from the way the, the, way the Bible, the way the Bible was, was put together. I mean, imagine this for a second, okay? You've got 40 different writers spanning three different continents. You've got Africa, Asia, and Europe. You have, you have languages, three different languages used. And a time span that runs from Moses, who wrote the first book, and 1,400 years later, 
John's born, who writes the last book. And you're telling me that that's all coincidence, that this theme, that this central understanding of who God is, these beautiful examples of who, are, who God is are just coincidence that they align? Or, or maybe, the, maybe the movies might, might lead us to believe that there's been a, a secret group all along in history corroborating to make sure that, that the books work together and that they're this ultimate narrator. That's God's divine hand at work. Desiring his people to have a story that continues to help them understand the beauty of who he is. So you may understand the beauty of who you are. It's not by chance that all these books throughout history have been able to come together. That's God's beautiful hand at work. Let me, let me, let me show you one example. Let me show you an example. And it's, and it's, it's three scriptures that bring up the example of, of the word sweat. Okay? And, I, and I'll take you there. First in Genesis 3.19, right? In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground. In Ezekiel, it says, they shall have linen bonnets upon their heads and shall have linen breeches upon their loins. They shall not gird themselves with anything that causeth sweat. Okay? Genesis to Ezekiel, Luke. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. Notice, notice the complete symbolic and doctrinal harmony, harmony and symmetry. In Genesis 3.19, sweat is part of the curse of sin. In Ezekiel, though, no garments which could, which could cause sweat were, were to be worn by the priests in the service of the sanctuary. So the service was holy, hence no symbol of sin was permitted even in the priest's garment. Again, these priests were typical of the sinless one who were, excuse me, again, these priests were typical of the sinless one who alone could be our great high priest. And in Luke, he who has made sin was identified with the curse and therefore was bathed in the bloody sweat of Gethsemane's passion and agony. Think a moment of the fact that Ezekiel wrote about a thousand years after Moses and Luke about 500 years after Ezekiel. Though there could be absolutely no collusion, yet there's absolutely no collision. In view of this, man, I, I hope you get the flow, the connection, the, the, the unity of Scripture where God is beautifully even using language to point us towards Him. Even using the meaning of, of words and, and far be it that someone sat in the background and tried to coerce Ezekiel to use Moses' language and then coerce Luke to use Ezekiel's language. It was all God's hand. One of the 
one of the areas that is almost never debated. And in our community, we hear about it often, and it's, and it's, and it's prophecy. But we hear about it in a weird way in our community. We hear about it from fortune tellers. You ever been to a fortune teller? Unfortunately, I have friends who have, and they always tell me that the person could tell them what they did in the past, but don't really tell them about the future. The Bible is unlike any other book in history. Yes, we have people who claim to know the future, like uh, Nostradamus. And he has some, some vague forecasts. But the Bible, when the Bible speaks of prophecy, it's detailed. It's clear. It's succinct. It's, it has pinpoint accuracy. And if you predicted or if you spoke of a prophecy that was a lie, the punishment was death. Now, the Bible has over 300 different prophecies that were spoken and fulfilled. I'm trying, I'm trying to give you some understanding that, that, man, the Bible is a historical account. You have men that were willing to die for what these words say. You have a unity that forms and, and you, you can't make up the type of line that you see that draws from Genesis to Revelation. And then we have prophecy, which can be tested and again and again has been proven true. But I want to leave you with this last challenge. I want to leave you with this last question. Have you seen somebody transformed by the gospel? Do you know someone who went from prior to Jesus, their life changed drastically as a result of believing in the words found in, within these pages? This one doesn't, this one can't be tested as much. It's not a, a scientific equation that can test before, Leon, after, you know? But do you, do you know Christians that, man, upon accepting Jesus, their lives took a drastic turn? I'm just telling you, I've seen drug dealers become men of integrity. Thieves stop stealing. People on drugs, free. People with low self-esteem see themselves in the eyes of the, that the Lord has beautifully created them in. I've seen hurt and broken families, marriages on the brink of, of divorce, be made whole. Is it a placebo effect? Is it, is it just that when we believe in something more, automatically healing happens? I think not. I think that there's an inherent power that the Lord has where he draws men to him and restores. And the beauty of that story is found right here. So do I think that this book is... Is like any other book, 
Sorry, man. <laughs> I don't. Do I, do I think that this book is worth living your life for? I do. Do I, do I, do I think it has, you know, historical implications as well as spiritual? For sure. But I pray that you, having heard some of this, man, won't just simply discount and continue thinking the same way that you were thinking all along, but that you will, you will begin to say, huh, let, let, me, let me go test and find out some of the things that, that Leon was talking about. Let me, let, me go, let me go do some research on that. I personally, man, would love to meet with you some more uh, and connect with you. The Bible is real. It's, it's God's authority. But, my friend, I'd love to connect with you so that you get a full picture of what it means to live for the Lord. This is, the Bible is a great starting place. The Bible is the starting place. There's a few other resources, man, that I'd love to send you to a, a couple websites. Um, but, but start with the Bible. Actually, let me ask a question. Have you, have you heard the gospel? Do you, when, when, you, when, when I say the gospel, do you know what that means? Okay. Well, the gospel is this, my brother. That God created us out of a place of love. And I understand. I understand. Well, I got your number, man. We'll connect. I definitely look forward to talking with you again. Mac family, will you pray with me?